Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion syllabus in Concepcion versus United States, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, argued January 19th, 2022, cited June 27th, 2022. If you'd like to support the podcast, please find a PayPal link in the show notes or contact me at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. Congress passed the Fair Sentencing Act of 2010 to correct the wide disparity between crack and powder cocaine sentencing. Section 2 of that act increased the amount of crack cocaine needed to trigger a 5 to 40 year sentencing range from 5 grams to 28 grams. That's Section 2A2. The Fair Sentencing Act did not apply retroactively, but in 2011, the Sentencing Commission amended the sentencing guidelines to lower the guidelines range for crack cocaine offenses and applied that reduction retroactively for some defendants. In 2018, Congress enacted the First Step Act, authorizing district courts to impose reduced sentence on defendants serving sentences for crack cocaine offenses, as if Sections 2 and 3 of the Fair Sentencing Act were in effect at the time the covered offense was committed. In 2007, Petitioner Carlos Concepcion pleaded guilty to one count of distributing five or more grams of crack cocaine in violation of 21 U.S.C. section 841A1, and he was sentenced in 2009 to 19 years in prison. When Concepcion was sentenced, he qualified for sentencing as a career offender. The career offender provision and other enhancements increased Concepcion's sentence guidelines range from 57 to 71 months to 262 to 327 months. And the actual sentence was 228 months. Because Concepcion was sentenced as a career offender, he was not eligible for relief under the Sentencing Commission's 2011 amendment. In 2019, Concepcion filed a pro se motion for a sentence reduction under the First Step Act. He argued that he was serving a sentence for a covered offense because Section 2 of the Fair Sentencing Act modified the statutory penalties for his convictions under 21 U.S.C. Section 841A1. Concepcion contended that retroactive application of the Fair Sentencing Act lowered his guidelines range from 262 to 327 to 118 to 235. The government conceded Concepcion's eligibility for relief, but opposed the motion, emphasizing that Concepcion's original sentence of 228 months fell within the new guideline range of 188 to 235, and citing factors in Concepcion's prison record that the government believed counseled against a sentence reduction. In his reply brief, represented by counsel, Concepcion made two primary arguments in support of a reduced sentence. First, he argued that he would no longer be considered a career offender because one of his prior convictions had been vacated and his remaining convictions would not constitute crimes of violence that trigger the enhancement. Without the enhancement, Concepcion contended that his revised guidelines range should be 57 to 71 months. Second, Concepcion pointed to post-sentencing evidence of rehabilitation. The district court denied Concepcion's motion It declined to consider that Concepcion would no longer qualify as a career offender based on his judgment that the First Step Act did not authorize such relief. The district court did not address Concepcion's evidence of rehabilitation 
or the government's countervailing evidence of Concepcion's disciplinary record. The Court of Appeals affirmed, in a divided opinion, and added to the disagreement among the circuits as to whether a district court deciding a First Step Act must, uh, may, or may not consider intervening changes of law or fact. The uh, Supreme Court held. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Justice Sotomayor delivered the opinion of the court. The First Step Act allows district courts to consider intervening changes of law or fact in exercising their discretion to reduce a sentence. Federal courts historically have exercised broad discretion to consider all relevant information at an initial sentencing hearing, consistent with their responsibility to sentence the whole person before them. That discretion also carries forward to later proceedings that may modify an original sentence. District court's discretion is bounded only when Congress or the Constitution expressly limits the type of information a district court may consider in modifying a sentence. There is a long and durable tradition that sentencing judges enjoy discretion in the sort of information they may consider. At an initial sentencing proceeding, that's a Dean versus United States, that unbroken tradition also characterizes federal sentencing history. Indeed, it has been uniform and consistent in the federal judicial tradition for the sentencing judge to consider every convicted person as an individual and every case is unique study as a unique study in the human failings that sometimes mitigate, sometimes magnify the crime and the punishment to ensue. It's Kuhn versus United States. Accordingly, a federal judge in deciding to impose sentence may appropriately conduct an inquiry broad in scope, largely limited either as to the kind of information he may consider or the source from which it may come. It's a United States versus Tucker. The discretion federal judges hold at initial sentencing also characterizes sentencing modification hearings. The court in Pepper v. United States found it clear that when a defendant's sentence has been set aside on appeal and his case remanded for resentencing, a district court may consider evidence of the defendant's rehabilitation since his prior sentencing. Accordingly, federal courts resentencing individuals whose sentences were vacated on appeal regularly consider evidence of rehabilitation or evidence of rule-breaking in prison, developed after the initial sentencing, where district courts must calculate new guidelines ranges as part of resentencing proceedings, courts have also exercised their discretion to consider non-retroactive guidelines changes. In some cases, a district court is prohibited from recalculating a guidelines range to account for non-retroactive guidelines amendments, but the court may nevertheless find those amendments to be germane when deciding whether to modify a sentence at all, and if so, to what extent. The only limitations on a court's discretion to consider relevant materials at an initial sentencing or in modifying that sentence are those set forth by Congress in a statute or by the Constitution. See uh, Pepper again, or uh, Mistretta versus United States. Congress has placed such limits where it deems them appropriate. See 18 U.S.C. sections 3582A and 3583C. 
Congress has further imposed express statutory limitations on one type of sentencing modification proceeding, expressly cabining district courts' discretion by requiring courts to abide by the Sentencing Commission's policy statements. Uh, see also Section 3582C1 Cap A, uh, Compassionate Release. Congress in the First Step Act did not contravene well-established sentencing practices. Nothing in the text and structure of the First Step Act expressly or even implicitly overcomes the established tradition of district court sentencing discretion. The text of the First Step Act does not so much as hint that the district courts are prohibited from considering evidence of rehabilitation, disciplinary infractions, or unrelated guidelines changes. In the only two limitations on district court's discretion, uh, sorry, the only two limitations on district court's discretion appear in sections 404C. A district court may not consider a First Step Act motion if the movement's sentence was already reduced under the Fair Sentencing Act or if the court considered and rejected a motion under the First Step Act. Neither limitation applies here. By its terms, Section 404C does not prohibit district courts from considering any arguments in favor of or against sentence modification. In fact, Section 404C only underscores that a district court is not required to modify a sentence for any reason. Drawing meaning from silence is particularly inappropriate in the sentencing context, for Congress has shown that it knows how to direct sentencing practices in express terms. That's Kimbrough versus United States. The as-if clause in Section 404B does not impose any limit on the information a district court can consider in exercising its discretion under the First Step Act. The term as-if simply enacts the First Step Act's central goal, to make retroactive the changes in the Fair Sentencing Act necessary to overcome 1 U.S.C. Section 109, which creates a presumption that Congress does not repeal federal criminal penalties unless it says so expressly. The as-if clause also directs district courts to apply the Fair Sentencing Act as if it applied at the time of the commission of the offense, not at the time of the original sentencing, suggesting that Congress did not intend to constrain district courts to considering only the original sentencing record. Thus, the as-if clause requires district courts to apply the legal changes in the Fair Sentencing Act when recalculating a movement's guidelines, but it does not limit the information a district court may use to inform its decision whether and how much to reduce that sentence, or to reduce a sentence. Consistent with this text and structure, district courts deciding First Step Act motions regularly have considered evidence of post-sentencing rehabilitation and unrelated guidelines amendments when raised by the parties. First Step Act movements have amassed prison records of over a decade. Um, see Section 404A, uh, requiring the movement to have been sentenced for an offense committed before August 3rd, 2010. Those records are naturally of interest to judge judges authorized by the First Step Act to reduce prison sentences or even to release movements immediately. 
Likewise, when deciding whether to grant First Step Act motions and in deciding how much to reduce sentences, courts have looked to post-sentencing evidence of violence or prison infractions as probative. Moreover, when raised by the parties, district courts have considered non-retroactive guidelines amendments to help inform whether to reduce sentences at all, and if so, by how much. Nothing express or implicit in the First Step Act suggests that these courts misrepresented the act in considering such relevant and probative information. The court therefore holds that the First Step Act allows district courts to consider intervening changes of law or fact in exercising their discretion to reduce a sentence pursuant to the First Step Act. When deciding a First Step Act motion, district courts bear the standard obligation to express or to explain their decisions and demonstrate that they are cons- they considered the party's non-frivolous arguments. See Golan versus Sada. The district court is not required to articulate anything more than a brief statement of reasons. See Rita versus United States. The broad discretion that the First Step Act affords to district courts also counsels in favor of deferential appellate review. See Solem versus Helm. Um, Section 404C of the First Step Act confers particular discretion because the act does not require a court to reduce any sentence other than legal errors in recalculating the guidelines to account for the Fair Sentencing Act's changes. See uh, Gall versus United States. Appellate review should not be overly searching. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Justice Sotomayor delivered the opinion of the court, in which Justices Thomas, Breyer, Kagan, and Gorsuch joined. Justice Kavanaugh filed a dissenting opinion, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Alito and Barrett joined. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, find the PayPal link in the show notes.